curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything, Mr. Curiosity. All right, folks, Mr. Curiosity is here with his first rock star. Dun, 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 dun. And uh, I was just telling this gentleman, who I'm not going to introduce yet, that I am a child of the 70s and 80s, and anyone who is loves rock and roll, loves even heavy metal, loves punk, new wave, all of it. So, Sean, we have a rock star here, and you don't even know it. No. <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm eager, I'm eager no, to learn the, more. The rock, star, oh, no, no. Oh, oh. the rock star doesn't even know it, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the rock star is Carl Kennedy from the band The Rods, who have an amazing following since the 80s? Since 1980. Unbelievable. So... Uh, let me start by saying thanks, everyone, for the downloads. Keep them coming. Spread the word. We have interesting local people. And uh, Carl and I go back a long time, but I don't know much about this guy. We we just kind of our paths connected, and I know him, but I don't know him. And here we are, and now we're going to get the whole history of this guy. Hello, Carl. Hello, Joe. And right. I, can, I can start out with I moved here. My wife is from here originally, so... That's how I wound up. That's the people connection. ask me all the time, how did you wind up in Carbondale? And I'm like, a woman. What other reason would there <laughs> be to move? To it's this? always money or a woman, right? Exactly. So, so I. Um, well, I want to tell you the rules of the game first. Mm-hmm. You see this bell right here? Yes. If I get inappropriate or say oh, anything that okay. you don't want to answer, you hit that and I just immediately shut up. Oh, oh. Okay, there we go. Okay. Now, like, I'm, no, no, I shut up. So. I came here. I bought a the dress factory in Simpson, which I believe is near your. So Simpson is where I grew up. Right. So I bought that old dress factory right by the bridge, and uh, made it into a recording studio. So that was uh, bands were coming in from out of town. And but wait, uh, but I, so, so wait, I mean, where are you from? I'm from Ithaca, New York, upstate New York. So you were born, and raised your whole life, Ithaca. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ithaca well, what did you What did you do for a living? What did you? I was like- always a musician. My wife, I got a part-time job at PNC Bank, I think, when I turned 42. And my wife shook my hand, and she goes, congratulations. You're the only person I know who's never had a real job until their <laughs> 40s. <laughs> well, that's why. Let's, let's not forget the first 20 years then. So when you were growing yes. up, you were just, like, musically inclined? I was at four and a half. I went to a, a um, wedding reception, and... They had a drum kit, and I remember seeing an army tank at the Legion outside, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I walked in, and I saw this drum kit on this little stage with a railing. I remember the railing by and the drum kit in the middle, and it was like the Alleluia, like the white light and the Alleluia singers. I'm like, oh, my God. And from that point on, that's all I wanted to do. I was obsessed with drums. Mm-hmm. So Obsessed. this could be a bell moment. Do you want to tell me the year you were born or your age? Or yes, no? no, I'm happy to tell you, Holder. I'm now 67. I just turned wow. 67 the 27th of January. And so you look I'm, fantastic. I'm not no, just well, saying that. Thank you very much. And I think the podcast with no video really enhances <laughs> the look. So, But you are kind of an unassuming metal guy. You don't look I, – I don't know. I, I think – Well, I think it's – you know, that's – I think all three of the rods have been like that. Uh, the guitarist is a guy who – he was a conservationist. He worked for, um, I can't remember what, in New York State, but forestry or whatever. But we would go into diners, long, long hair. And these old guys would come up, Dave, give me some ideas on fishing. I'm trying to catch this kind of fish. And these old guys, like, talking to this long hair. We would go out golfing. They'd be out on the golf course with long hair and cut-off shirts. Gary is uh, the bass player. He's an expert in nanotechnology at Cornell. So we're all very quiet. And people would look at us in the dressing room before shows, and they would say, oh, my God, these guys are like going to be this wild heavy metal band. I don't get it. There's no way. And then, of course, we go on stage, and it's like a three-ring circus. My daughter, when she was young, she saw videos of us at the Palladium. 
and she said she called us two mops two two mops and a gorilla. <laughs> So you kind of turn around. it on. You become a different person. Totally, you play yeah, it. It's exactly. all it's showbiz in a way. It is. But back to Ithaca. So you, yeah. when you're a teenager, or you're, you're, you're playing drums, you're gathering with guys. What are you doing? Well, troublemaker? I, no, no. Never a troublemaker. No, no. Always involved in my drums. I played as much as I could play. In fact, my parents had an apartment house, and I would come home, and I would pla- practice drums until like six or seven at night and the poor people some people move because of it my mother's like i'm sorry i don't know what to tell you but i was obsessed with drums and then i started playing guitar at night after like so i was just constantly playing music and uh, are, from are early on mom and dad musicians any of them no musically nobody, inclined no one no only a few cousins now have some musical talent but at that point nobody but i'm trying to think so you were born in what year 1953. So 53. You already outed my, my age. No, so, but so. I didn't want to do the quick math, so I'm trying to picture your time. So it's 63. It's the late 60s. Late 60s. I mean, it's cl- your classic Beatles generation guy. A- absolutely. Could you tell huge, me about that? Like, huge Beatles fan. I'm trying to understand um, you. It seems like everyone I listen to is mm-hmm. your age now. Everyone mm-hmm. I grew up with, and every single one of them, whether it's ACDC, Blue Oyster Cult, pick any band, they say... Right. They were influenced by the Beatles. Absolutely. I saw them. I was living in California at the time, and I saw them on Ed Sullivan. And I was like, wow, amazing. I think I was, I don't know how old I was. It must have been nine, but I was thinking, oh, they, they're from Britain, but they sing in English. Oh, I was like I so see. stupid. I didn't even, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. oh, they sing in English. They sing in another American. country. Yeah. They're even worse when people say. <laughs> but what, but, so what was like before the Beatles? Because I can't relate. Nothing for me. I played clarinet. All the drum chairs were taken. I got a clarinet. I still have it. Um, and I can play like some notes, but it's just squeaky and horrible. But I still have it. And you know, like, My daughter Erin, being a music teacher, she plays so many instruments. And uh, saxophone is one of her favorites. And so I'll get out the clarinet or she brings home a new instrument. I'll, I'll well, let me play that. And she just laughs at me the whole time. <laughs> and I'm squeaking. <laughs> so by the time I was, as soon as I got out of school, I got a High job. School. High school. I got a job. I went to Ithaca, New York, and I took, I had my wife sign out from Elmira College, right. a little mono recorder. I played a seven and a half minute drum solo. It has no beat in it at all. It's just blah, 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 blah <clears throat> stupid stuff. So I take it to this agency, Valix in Ithaca, and I prop. You're how old? I was 19. 19. So I plop down this recorder, this big recorder, and I plop it down and I Say, can I play this for you? I'm looking for a job. Turn it on. And the, and his name was uh, Terry Singleton. Just passed away. Greatest guy. He listens to all seven minutes. Now, there's not one thing that would say I could play a drum beat. So it's just you doing drums, like a drum solo. Me doing drums. Probably sounded horrible. Yeah. And it was probably horrible as well, just yeah. the playing. He listens very kindly, and he says politely, sorry, I don't have anything for you. You know, but thanks for bringing it in. So yeah. I pack up this huge thing and take it out. It's like a suitcase size. Take it out. And... Uh, Next day, I get a call for this band for an audition, Big Daddy and the Duquesnes. So Big Daddy was James Brown, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Chicago. And it was all the stuff I was into. I did an audition. I got the job. No. So right away. So now I'm touring the whole East Coast. But educate me. So this t- term you gave me, Big Big Daddy, Daddy. and the Duquesnes. They were what? They were like the they band? They were a band, that, a big horn band. That played, played with all of these artists? No, they played all around. They were playing that music. Oh, I see. They, so were, they were a cover band, but they played all that oh, music. I gotcha. and so we did the East Coast. We did all the colleges. So, so why did they pick you, do you think? They saw something or were they just desperate? Yeah, I think they were desperate. <laughs> I think they had 
no other choice, you know. Like, <laughs> no other choice. I mean, first of all, Teddy was Teddy did all the James Brown moves, and um, Teddy was Big Daddy, and he was phenomenal and doing all the funk stuff and Sly and everything. And he did all that. Why would they pick a white kid? Yeah, who couldn't play anything? Who didn't know how to spell funk? Right? Just like okay, he's our drummer, but pimple face, nineteen year old, yeah, outside exactly. of Ithaca, and these guys were all in their twenties or even older. They were old, a little bit older, I think, oh. even maybe thirty. So what's this like now? Is that you'd say, Mom and Dad? Incredible. I'm leaving. I'm, yeah, this is it. On. Yeah, that was it. I was out. I was on the road. And um, Chuck Carrington, the keyboard player, let me stay at his house because I lived in Pennsylvania at the time, just over the border from Elmira. And he actually worked with me and taught me swing, like how to play with the horns. And the horn guys would work with me because horn guys are really, like, if anyone doesn't know this, they're touchy when they play parts that need to be accented, like accent them if you're the drummer because they get right? really upset yeah so i had to learn but you're you know? but, but, so you're like picking up all these instruments and everything you're just like a musical guy well i played just mainly... guitar since i started playing drums pretty much and yeah, then but why started... did this all come to you it's just your way you're just yeah, a musically I, inclined guy i had lessons right away okay and this guy told me that i sucked <laughs> and that i would never he was a nard drummer and a national association of rudimental drummers and i go oh that's really cool i would love to you know be able to test for that one day and do you'll never be able to do that he told me so after a while um of him telling me that i sucked and that i was doing nothing right i thought I'm paying this guy for abuse every week. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. You know, I'm not the smartest guy, but I thought, yeah, maybe I should save my money. Yeah. So I stopped taking lessons from him because of that. And I did eventually become a NAR drummer, a certified drummer. So that was exciting for me, just out of spite. And I don't know where he is. I want to kind of show it to him, my little yes, certificate. Yes, look at yeah. Take that, fathead. <laughs> so, so now you're in your 20s and you're with this, this cover band? Traveling or? all over, full time, five, six nights a week. And, and I mean, uh, there's a big stage for a 19-year-old punk. It was. It was great. It but was but is not exactly education. the music you wanted to play, or was it? I don't oh, know. I loved it. Oh, you loved I it? I love all kinds of music. That's been the misconception, me being a heavy metal band in the rods and writing it like a third or more, or half, almost half of the material. Everybody thinks I'm the big heavy metal guy, and that's all I do. But I, you know, I've always yeah, loved Yeah, I guess I would just assume that, too. Yeah. I mean, you can't listen to bread. I do. I love it. <laughs> David Gates is great. I just heard the song the other day. <laughs> you hear that? Johnny can... <laughs> So you're going to listen to I get, uh, Guitar I get my, Man? No, a lot of times I'll get my Mr. Rogers sweater out, and I'll put on some bread. <laughs> Diary? Oh, all right. Well, shut up about that. All right. Uh, so so what's the next jump in your life? Oh, you're, so, you're single. You're in your 20s. Yeah, you're moving around, so, meeting a lot of people. Big Daddy comes to an end. So I immediately go back to Terry at Valix Agency. And I say, Terry, I'm looking for a band now. And he goes, I don't have anything. Sorry. Next day, I get a call for a band. It was formerly Brian's Idols, recorded for RCA. But they were now called Raw Meat, which was the worst possible, one of the worst possible names, especially this Is this was, a precursor to Guar? Yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> I have a Guar story, too. <laughs> so, oh, we got to get to the story. So, <laughs> so anyway, I, the next day, I go for the audition, and I get the job. And so now I'm touring all over. and that, Early 70s? Yeah, early 70s. Probably 72 okay. now, 73. And so, but I wanted a record deal. I wanted to be, I wanted to do originals. I was already writing songs. And I wrote, I would say that without doubt, like if the Guinness people came by and saw my, my song catalog, now I think probably have 70 songs published with BMI, but I have a lot of songs that have never seen the light of day. And I think if the Guinness people came by... I think they would certify me as having written 
the worst, the greatest number of horrible songs <laughs> of all time. I have some piano songs that not only do I cringe, when I, I hear them, I think, oh my God, these, no one should ever hear these. And then on the other hand, I but think- But is it a learning this curve? Is a, Are they getting this is better? A, well, I think it's a Monty Python movie as well. <laughs> you know, so bad. Uh, so so any, raw meat? What is this raw like? Raw meat. I actually took- my bass drum head, and it had some artists. I go, will you do a raw meat drum head for me for my bass drum? He comes back with a steak with little white gloves, like stick hands and white gloves like Mickey Mouse. And it's a steak with a big smile on it. And it says raw meat. Oh my. It was the most embarrassing yeah, thing. So and I paid cheesy, for that. Yeah. yeah, it was horrible. But I used it. What was Raw Meat like, if you had to say it's like this band? Raw Meat was an amazing band. In fact, They were an amazing band. Amazing band, yeah, absolutely. Like, is it like Deep Purple? Is it, <clears throat> yeah, like, exactly. We... That kind of stuff. We did a lot of, um, like, everything raw was... Meat. Yeah, no. <laughs> Anyone in Raw Meat Great, that went anywhere? Yeah, David, Dave Porter okay. from 805. They have, they've had some hits. Um, they were on RCA. Great, great band, great singer. A huge band in upstate in the, the whole tri-state area. Okay. But did very well nationally with a couple of songs. Is that right? Yeah. He, he's phenomenal. Dave is great. He actually sang on my first solo album. He sang two songs. But um, trying to think who else was in the band that's uh, done well. But they've stayed together in some form. Brian and Joe, the bass player, and they've all stayed. But they had great vocals. And uh, they were just a fantastic band. So anything from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, oh. Deep Purple, Elton John, like they did it all really Is well. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Very, very so good. I was the weak link in that band again. <laughs> you're just being humble. So, no, so, my, so my story jives with yours. I want you to know when you're doing all this, I'm like six. So mm -hmm. I'm not of age yet. Just mm -hmm. so, you can, so I can No, that makes you. me feel bad. No, I don't mean it that way. I just want to let you know. You, no, I, might want, I want to let you know when you're bringing up some of these bands, I may not know them because I still didn't, haven't entered oh, yeah. that well, part of my life. You didn't know Raw Meat at six? No, I didn't know Raw Meat at six. <laughs> travesty. That's a travesty. <laughs> my mother said raw meat will cause trichinosis, so yes, I stayed away from it. All right, so then what happens? So I was with them, and I wanted to be, I wanted a record deal. I wanted to be on a major label. That was it. That was my goal. Like, I don't want to just play covers the rest of my life. Yeah. So I quit. And just called. They were like, they were not happy with me. Because the band had gotten tight, and we were playing all the time. Yeah. And they're like, you know, we all fit well together personality-wise. And they were not happy. And they really put pressure on me to not leave. They told me I was a fool. I would never get a major label deal. But did they want to just keep doing covers? They did. Except for Dave Porter. Okay. And who eventually splintered off. And went with started 805. Okay. So so now I uh, decide that I'm going to go. My now wife, we start, we go to Boston to look for a band. So I go to Boston. We stay there for a couple of weeks. I'm posting things and I do some auditions. And it was just like, wow, this is weird. These bands aren't that good. Nobody's close to as good as Raw Meat. And I was shocked. It's Boston. So nobody's looking for it. Okay. So now. We go back, and I decide that I'm going to... Oh, I want to ask you, so where do you find even, like, ads in the paper? Yes. Like, you back then, you go to a music store, and people post, or you look in the paper in the back, they'll right. have advertising. So you're, you're just winging it. I'm saying, winging oh, I'll try it. This, I have I'll no try. connections. What are you doing for a living? How do you support your wife? Had, How does she support you? I don't know what's happening. Well, we had... I'd saved up money from playing oh, okay. with raw meat, and she had had a job. <laughs> you got your money from raw meat? <laughs> for more um, raw meat, yeah. <laughs> I was making a bundle with that. and uh, But no, I made some money, so I had enough money to sustain myself okay. for a while. So from there, I wind up on this Holiday Inn tour. 
Like, okay, I'll take this gig just to, because I want to go out west next. So, oh, in the meantime, I had gone to New York City, and again, that was just flaky people. It was crazy in New York. I was, yeah. like, wow, this is not working for me. And I still find that to this day, New York City, that a lot of the New York City musicians, nobody stays long enough. They're always looking for the next thing, so they're never developing anything. And so a lot of those musicians just kind of wander along. And, okay. You know. But anyway, so now I do this Holiday Inn tour. And I was used to doing a drum solo, like every time I played, big drum solo. So we get on the Holiday Inn tour, and I'm now at my first first gig, and I have my drums taped up because, you know, it's an acoustic guitar. Yeah. So they're like, okay, do your solo, Kyle. So I start to play, and it's not – I'm like, wow, these drums sound crappy. So I start ripping off all the duct tape. So my friend is telling me the story after, which, you know, I was playing, so I wasn't paying attention. He goes, you hear this, you're playing the drums, and you hear rip. <laughs> Could be a new sound, a new rip. sound effect, yeah. Rip. It was, so I did this whole. I don't understand what a Holiday Inn tour is. Holiday Inn would be a lounge tour. So you're just with musicians, and they're in the lobby. No, we're doing the lounge. We're in the lounge, like a restaurant lounge of a Holiday Inn or a hotel. Okay. That's not done anymore? This is maybe it's vague to me. Uh, no, uh, now it's more like crazy seventies. Uh, I was still in elementary school. Yeah, you were, you were still <laughs> trying to discover raw meat. <laughs> so, we're doing this tour, and it's a lounge act. You know, it's a very quiet kind of thing, and and so and that guitarist was great because he would play, and he had a little uh, pickup in his guitar. He would play, and he'd be playing a chord, but he would want to adjust the volume. So, of course, when you're fretting the guitar with your left hand. That's where all the chord, the, the musical part comes. If you all let right. go, he would just, no matter what key he was in, if he wanted to adjust the volume on his mic stand, he would just keep strumming with the right hand instead of doing it with it. He would strum and okay. take his hand off and with his left hand. So now it would go from like an A sharp chord to this open E. It was da 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 da. And then da da da. He didn't care. So it was hysterical to me. And we would just laugh up behind his back, of course, because what a hack he was. So. After that tour, I went to San Francisco, and we stayed there for a week. And uh, again, same thing. And then I went to L.A. and stayed there for a week. And uh, again, bands, you know, like, was just flaky. And everybody was a Kiss band back then, it seemed like. Everybody... So, yeah. So now, Sean and I can start relating. So right. now, the 70s... And I never liked Kiss. Mm -hmm. I was never a huge Kiss fan. I liked the hits, but I was never like, oh, my God, I, I want to get some... I thought they were too gimmicky. Like, yeah. I, I always thought I'm better than that. Don't take that the wrong way. Right. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no. It's, it so, was but I see what's coming of age now. Mm -hmm. It's that type of arena band mm -hmm. gimmicks. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't want to put the boots on and do the whole thing. <laughs> play drums in the boots like that. So I came back to the East Coast. And um, when I was in Boston, I had, and I'm telling stories that I have other stories I want to tell, but this one's funny. I go to Boston. When I was in Boston, I had auditioned for a band called Jack Stella and the Northern Lights. Jack I like Stel it. Jack I like Stella. It. Now, Jack was the most egomaniacal guy I've ever met, and talentless. Which my daughter and I, my daughter and I have this <laughs> ego thing. and talentless. And ta my daughter and I have this thing that we both have learned, and that's that people who speak the best game about music, when you hear them, they're usually at best mediocre. But they'll talk the game. You'll be, oh my god, I couldn't like these guys. Like you can't even like look at these people because they must be so amazing and make me feel so humble. Well, sure, that's a principle because if you have it and you know you're good, you don't have to brag it. That well, applies to money too. The people who want to talk about how much money they have yeah, and I'm exactly. showing they're the ones with the least amount of money. Right. So, so it goes across so many they, things. They beg me to come back, right? So I come. They, they, I lost the audition because Jack said I was too good for the band. <laughs> Jack didn't like anyone showing him up, right? So. <laughs> So now the band wanted me, so I come back and I play, 
And <clears throat> these horn guys were so amazing that uh, they were all Berkeley grads, Boston music. They're brilliant horn players. And again, they taught me a lot because they were like so talented. And at one point, I remember thinking, how does this work? I don't understand sidemen. I don't understand being a sideman because I've really been an equal member of bands. So, yeah. so after one gig, um, Jack takes us all back, and he's, it's a nine-piece band. And all the guys are looking at their feet. And Jack's going, you guys, I was playing a keyboard solo. Now, nine, now remember, these guys are schooled musicians, right? Yeah. I was playing this hack keyboard. He didn't say hack, but I'll insert hack. Keyboard <laughs> solo, right? <laughs> And when I came out of it, you guys all jumped at the same time and made me look bad. And I'm looking, I'm like, I look up and everyone's looking at their feet. No one's saying like, hey, jackass, how can eight really, well, except myself, seven incredible musicians jump at the same time randomly? How does that, like statistically (laughs) in the universe, how could that be possible? But his ego allowed, and so these guys are looking at their feet like, so he's defensive, he's He's nasty, he's calling everybody out, and nobody's saying a word. And I thought, oh, side man, just shut up, keep the gig. Yeah. So they're all, like, taking it. So I left that. And I had, Does this guy ever turn out to be anything or no? No. Jack Stella? No, yeah. I don't know what happened to Jack. I was, <laughs> I was out of there. So I had auditioned for a band, Kalakis, and I didn't want to take that. I don't know Kalakis. You don't know Kalakis, and you wouldn't. But Kalakis was a band that... Um, they asked me to come back. I had already come back to Pennsylvania. I was actually back here. And um, so I went back. They said, come back for two weeks. So I came back for two weeks, played with them, and um, wound up moving to upstate New York, to Ithaca. And uh, so we traveled around for a bunch of times. So now, the bass player in that band, Link, we all still record together, the original members. We didn't. That was my first album I ever recorded. And Link became uh, secretary to... Uh, Casper um, uh, Weinberger, and he was oh, really? ambassador. So, and he's an expert on Middle Eastern affairs, written <laughs> books. He's on Fox all the Is time. Right? He's always going to Dubai. What was his instrument? What was he? Bass. bass but he's very talented. He's now like producing this stuff because he plays guitar, piano. He's brilliant. The bass guy's always a little quiet, laid back. Did he fit that image or no? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he's brilliant. He was a, you know, Harvard grad, summa cum laude. And, you know, he was a smart, right? guy, a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's done very well. But um, so anyway, we still record. And, but um, so anyway, enough of that story. But then the, that's how the rods came about. I came after Kalakis. I wound up with uh, the Dean brothers who had had a regional hit with Annie Burns. And the did, Burns you, did they find you or you find them then? No, I was playing, and, and they came to me one day, and our light guy, Denny, who's a very short little guy who's really a sweetheart, and he and I roomed on the road with Kalakis, and Denny comes to me one day. I'm in a music store, and Joey DeMeo from Man of War and David Feinstein from Elf, and uh, they're in the car, and, and Denny comes in, and with his little voice, he goes, Mr. DeMeo and Mr. Feinstein would like to see you. So I'm like, what? Like, I know these guys. Yeah. What, the mister? Where did yeah, the mister yeah, yeah. come in? So I go out to the car, and Joey turns around and goes, you should be playing with men, brother. You should be playing with real men, not this kitty stuff with Kalakis. You need to be with us. We need a real drummer, and you need to be with real men. And the rods are born. No. Okay. No, not quite. So, the, so Joey and Rock and I put together some little thing and we wrote some great songs but it never came off so then that's how david and i splintered off joey started man of war i was the first drummer in man of war and was with them while they got their um, deal with emi and then the rod started and then we got a deal 
with which was Bertelsmann in Germany, which turned into Arista. And uh-huh. uh, so that's how that happened. And then I had to make a decision to stay with Man of War or stay with the Rods. And I chose to stay with the Rods. So what year is this? The Rods inception? This is 1980. So so the 70s are over. They're 80. over. Uh-huh. I mean, so now 80, mm-hmm. I guess that's the beginning of a lot of these hair metal type exactly. bands. So you're, mm-hmm. you're striking it at the right time. Right. So now we were actually... Here comes s- Iron Maiden. Here somewhat. comes Anthrax. Here right. comes... Twisted Sister, all these cheesy, don't be offended, heavy no, metal offended. bands. Not offended. In fact, I'm when, not throwing the rods in with them. I'm just saying. Well, this you, is, you, yeah, you, you could, but you know. <laughs> we went to see Spinal Tap, which yeah. is a classic movie and uh, about all the things that metal bands do, just how stupid it is. And we're watching the movie and the three of us went, the rods went. So the, the bass player turns to me and he said, he has the driest sense of humor. And he said, I didn't know we made a movie. While we're watching Spinal Tap, I'm like, oh, man. Because it's like... We're so much, you know, hello, Toledo. <laughs> you know, it was so bad. So you admit that you guys turn on the... the, the, the cheese. The cheese, the cheese. act, the glam. It's all to well, that, fit back, that mold. Yeah, back then. I mean, that's what... You had the little leather pants I see. And all it that. wasn't that contrived, right? It was, they're not really little leather pants, by the no, way. They're no, they're... But... <laughs> so, it's so, not like Udo with the short leather pants. But how's this arc of taking off? Did you open for a lot of interesting So then bands? we started opening for bands. Right? Oh, this is good. Here and we then, go. So as a matter of fact, the first band, the first concert was Foghat in Binghamton Arena, right? So Now you're talking. So that was my first show for an arena show. And I was... Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. And we did some shows. We toured Texas and some areas with Foghat as well. Do you great, know those guys? Do you have guys. good stories? To Roger guys. Earl. So... The first, we're playing the show, and I'd always want, like, you see drummers wailing their sticks out in the audience, right? It's the coolest thing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. It's the coolest thing. So we're playing. At the end of the set, we're done, and the crowd's going crazy, and I throw my stick out in the audience, both <laughs> of them, and I get off stage and go, and my manager goes, don't ever do that again. We could get sued for that. <laughs> wow. And, I was like, and this is the 80s. Why would was, it be like And now? that was like. Oh, I was like, oh my God, that was so, I was crushed. I thought, yeah. oh, this is, because I'm thinking, this is my life from now on. Uh, yeah. I'm throwing drumsticks at the end of the show. This is the greatest thing. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. <laughs> That's a lawsuit. So Now, when you open for a lot of bands, is it? do you feel like no one cares and you're just going no. through the motions? You know what? We, we geared, the Rods geared ourselves as we went along. We geared ourselves to make sure that we could open and we paced ourselves. We worked very hard at that so that we actually got encores as an opening act. Oh, yeah, and that's <clears> Which is very rare. unusual. Well, what were well, some, you know, some we, bands that you opened for, oh, some so of these tours? One of, I want to tell this one story just because I thought it was funny. We Our first show was for a major band in Albany, New York, at and I can't think, can't think of the theater. But our dressing room was above the stage, so we could kind of look out the window. So I go in, and I'm... Now, this is our first time doing this. Cedric Kushner, who was a big promoter at the time. So I go in and I see this tray of bologna. Now, remember, we're starving musicians. I see this tray of, like, rolled up American cheese and bologna. And, lunch meat is making it in, Sean. This could be our new this theme. This is becoming a trend. It's a now. new theme. We talk about lunch meat. Yeah. About lunch Pimento <laughs> loaf, right? Right? And I see, all the, see this and I'm thinking, oh, my God. 
I'm like, don't talk. Like, I'm thinking that's the headliner's yeah. tray. I'm like, that's their food. But oh, my God. And then, of course, they came in and go, no, that's yours. I'm like, whoa. So now you start feeling like a rock star. Oh, I was, it was huge. Like, what all is that, your favorite lunch? All that bologna for me. Bologna? Like, no. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I bought bologna a few months ago because I hadn't had it in, a, like, years. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a couple pieces. So I was like, okay, I'm good Brings now. it back to you. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. good for a while. <laughs> so, the, so the rods are opening up for uh, We're opening up. And this band was an incredibly hat. heavy band. Okay. And this was my first disillusionment with meaning, you know, not that it was disillusioned, but it was a shock that it, some, sometimes in show business things are a facade. So now this heavy metal. Oh, we know that, Sean. This heavy metal band comes out with motorcycle and leather and machine gun. He come, so I'm watching and I see this very machine, machine gun, right, spraying the crowd. And I'm like, this is so badass. And I see, and it's a very, from up there I could see closely, it's very effeminate, like, Moving very, <laughs> very like effeminate and an effeminate and, and machine effeminate. gun. But That's like a tough one to pick. I had seen it a million times and I thought it was so badass. But then watching it, I could see, and I didn't realize that, you know, that was that was the personality. But it looked so badass. But I was like, oh my god, that's. He's really not a badass. He's just a really yeah, smart, nice guy. As I got to know him, right? It was I thought a, you were going to say it was Lita Ford. No, it was an act. It was. <laughs> but anyway, I was like shocked. So the deli tray was a big thrill that it was ours, and so. But yeah, so then the um, we went on tour with. We opened for a number of bands. Danny Joe Brown, and the Danny Joe Brown band was a singer for Molly Hatchet. Oh yeah. We toured Texas and a bunch of, like, some states with that. And Danny Joe Brown wanted me to play with him so badly, and he has such a huge ego. And he would stand there, and his manager would tell me one so day. So he's what, Molly Hatchet? He's, he's the lead singer. He's the lead singer. Okay. He's the lead singer. Danny Joe would stand there with his arms folded and looking really cocky. And now he said to his manager, Carl, Danny Joe, Danny Joe needs a drummer like you behind him. Danny Joe, when he's out there singing, he's got to have someone like you behind him. You need to join this band. And... Uh, Danny Joe's like this with his arms knotted, shaking his head up and down, not speaking, but just like, I am so cool. And uh, that was my Danny Joe Brown story, which so they hammered me the whole tour to join them, which. What I was going to say, is, so is this like 82, 83? This is probably 81, 82. And that's 81. when they blew up, isn't it? Right. Flirting with disaster or whatever. Mm -hmm, them? Mm -hmm. But what, and he what had happened just to their the drummer? He, well, they had a drummer and he was a good drummer, but I don't know. Just, so you could have been a Molly Hatchet guy. I could have been. Not that yeah. that's better. I'm just saying, but no, no, I, yeah, I could have. I'm trying to think of like so. Now we open for Lemmy. I just have to tell you some of these stories, and I'll try to get to them quickly. So we opened for Motorhead, one of the loudest bands I'd ever heard, <laughs> okay. right? And so we have been compared to when our album came out. We were reading from these British magazines that we are the American Motorhead. Like okay. that's been our that's been our little thing forever. We're well, I mean, American that's not bad, right? Motorhead. No, it was cool. We didn't know who they were, and then we picked up the album. We saw these guys in leather and yeah. Ace with Spades. Like, wow, these guys look badass. We're like little. Where's the tea? We like we all like tea <laughs> after. Nobody drinks or does drugs. We see these guys. So now we play the Motorhead. show with Motorhead, and they're so loud. And uh, after the show, I'm like in my house. They laugh at me because if there's a fire. I have to, I'm like a clean freak. I have to shower every day. The, my house is like if there's a fire before I evacuate, I have to take a shower. You know? <laughs> so now Lemmy, we're outside and we're talking with fans, and Lemmy comes, up, hey, mate, and he puts his sweaty arm around me. Right now he's the sweetest guy. You didn't know him. 
no, I didn't know him. I just met him. He's got this beer in a cup, right? And he's got a sweaty arm on me. Oh, you want some beer, mate? <laughs> and he's slotting the beer, sloshing around. And, oh, great show, right, mate? And the beer sliding his sweaty arm. And my the guys in the band know how I am, right? And, the, and of course, I'm not moving Lemmy's arm away. And I'm like talking to him. But he's like rubbing his sweaty pits on me. So and you're not guy, like a legend is touching <laughs> me. That's not what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm just get this filthy sweat. Yeah, I don't want someone me. rubbing sweat on me because <laughs> I don't even want my own sweat on me. <laughs> so, poor Lemmy, and he's just the, the sweetest guy. But uh, anyway, enough. Oh, about so he him. is a sweet guy. Oh, he's a sweet guy. He was really a smart guy, and he just really passed away guy. two two years ago. Yeah. Or something, right? Is that right? So yeah, Lemmy was sweet, sweet guy, and uh, yeah, and really a smart guy. But you know, like to drink. Yeah, and slosh his beer around with his sweaty armpit on me. Rock star cliche, <laughs> motorhead, fog hat. So, I mean, the tales go on. Well, we did. We got asked to do a tour of England with Iron Maiden. Okay, so here we beast go. on the road. So now that was that was fun. Like I don't have anything crazy on that, other than you know we just every show was great. Iron Maiden, seeing Eddie come out with a big beast, and they treated us so well. They're but, so kind. But is it what we're thinking for a guy like me who, who has no musical ability, who is heavy into rock and pop music? Is it what is this like a big rock star lifestyle? Or is it it's all an act and then after the show everyone's quiet and they go on their little bus and they live a quiet life? Um, I mean, or is it all no, women no, no, and drugs? I don't know what's going we, on. We've toured with like a lot of bands. So with Iron Maiden, those guys were really focused you know they yeah. were very focused guys and uh, bruce dickinson really had recently joined the out the band and um, they were focused you know they were up in the morning we we're all eating breakfast in the hotel everybody hit the bus um long sound checks like nothing really crazy no big big partying now when we toured with judas priest in fact i have a, <laughs> my drum tech now i had these huge drum like road cases that were red with my name on them there's rods carl kennedy and a number because yeah. when they get packed in the truck my drum tech, his nickname was Machine Gun because he was a little crazy and he was super intense and he had no sense of humor. And he, he never, I don't think I ever saw him smile. Is that right? So now we're on tour with Judas Priest doing arenas, right? It's our first show. He makes a corral around the drums. Huge air, like takes up this huge amount of space. And the manager's like, you can't do that. And, he's t- and he tells the head crew guy of Judas Priest, don't touch those. Like you can't you can't do that. You know, you're lucky to have a little space to set your gear up. Get it on, get it off, yeah. and shut up. So he's got this huge well, space. They were big they, at the time, so they, they could throw that around. Well no, we were doing that and we were nobody, but oh. the guys, you know, my crew guys set up all that machine gun and he was so intense and the crew guys actually and priest actually laughed at him because crew Judas Priest crew were notorious for being nasty. Iron Maiden told us stories how they were forced to take equipment off from the front of the stage into the audience because Judas Priest's crew was so tough about things. So now my guy is building... Meaning no one touches my stuff, no one messes with my equipment. Just get the gear up, get your crap off the stage because you're the opening act and we don't care. Get it off. But for us, they were very nice, but the crew guys said, look, we do the same job he does. We respect him for that. But in terms of living the lifestyle... At the end of the show, Judas Priest had a corral, and they were all hot women. And every night, I would see Glenn and KK heading to the bus <laughs> with two women. Like each. picked out of the crowd? Each, exactly. The big corral of women. They would each select two women, not one, two women. And they out of the crowd, and that's it? In their corral. No, they were all, their road crew would select women who were very interested in meeting, quote-unquote, the guys. 
<laughs> that was and, Carl, not me. I guess we and, can't uh, go on. Interesting. And off they would go with two ladies every night. Unbelievable. So, yeah, so I mean, they, you know, we were all like just looking, like drooling. That's like, so oh disgusting God. and immoral. It was disgusting and immoral, and we were so jealous. <laughs> Yeah, but even even musicians who aren't globally known, I bet you the ladies were throwing themselves at you guys too. Even you know, there event, was right? there was some of that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to talk about it, but there, yeah, yeah, there was some of PG that. PG show. Yeah. So this is the mid '80s now, still early '80s. No, this is still '82, maybe 82, now. 83? Second album, Wild Dogs. At uh, that stage, I'm getting into like Blue Oyster Cult. I'm getting into. You have any good Blue Oyster Cult stories? You ever meet those guys? Yeah, or we did shows like that. Was the first. Uh, Actually, the first show we did in Binghamton, I was talking about throwing my six out was Blue Oyster Cult. And that was oh, great. It was. Yeah, it was great. So you opened for them? or We opened for them. Buck Dharma, great guitarist. Great. And David, the guitarist in the Rods, of course, cousins with Ronnie James Dio. And they're cousins. They're I didn't cousins. know. See, I yeah. didn't do my background mm-hmm. history here. Yeah, so. they're cousins. So they, so they all knew each other from Ithaca. Because Blue Oyster Cult, some of those guys are from Ithaca. So we all kind of knew each other. But David knew them even more so because he had toured with Elf. Okay. So, so they all knew David, and you know they were great. But they were a very family-oriented group, and that's why they have such longevity. Because these guys were focused musicians. They're great musicians, and they were focused. Nobody was burning out. Nobody was yeah. crazy. And they would call them the thinking man's heavy metal. Do you agree with that? A I would bit? agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. And that's why I like it too, because that makes me a thinking man. It does. No, <laughs> no, no doubt about it. I like I'll... to align myself with things that are unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> So the rods, when did they peak? We probably peaked 84, somewhere I'm graduating there. high school, you're peaking. Yeah, yeah. You're still finding raw That's meat. That's what Joe I'm, peaked, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I peaked that, too. So is this like is this like uh, like everyone knows you in the nation? Is this a well like we were, I guess you said that cult is Europe. the perfect term. Yeah, oh, this is cult, your- yeah. Like the books say, like number of books f- say that we are we have achieved cult status, cult which basically status. means some people know of us. We didn't really get to go to the bank like Motley Crue. Um, Could you give me another example? I'm trying to think of a band that would be cult status. Oh. Uh, hmm. It's it's tough, right? Because you we, wouldn't know of them. That's I guess that's right. I'm trying. <laughs> That's the problem, right? Because exactly. everybody knows them, but only those who know them really know them. Hey, by the way, I want to go back to the beginning here. When I moved here, people here, in when I lived to Carbondale, please, no letters, no emails. <laughs> um, but it was unusual for me. And so when I built my studio. What year was this? This was 1989. 89. So built my studio, and we're doing the tape room, and there was some carpet left over. So he was piecing it in. And so he goes, it looks good, ain't it? And so... <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Like that, I didn't realize that Anna, Henna, you know, Henna or no, Anna or no. I didn't understand. There was like a super contraction. I had no super contraction. I had no, no idea. No one ever t- call it that. I love it. Hey, or no, you're right. I had it no is. idea. And the accent, you know, I remember playing racquetball, and that's where I met you first yep. before yep, yep. You, were, you were here. Um, I don't think I said Hena. No, you didn't. If I was playing, and I was mentioning it to uh, the priest, I won't mention his name, and he said, "Yeah." He goes, "I was at the cathedral blessing troats." <laughs> And so once I learned the, you know, the colloquialisms and, and all that and the super contractions, which we, we were actually, the engineer and I were trying to figure out, hey, I'm like, isn't that so, what did he say? We were literally for a while, because people would drop those. And, you know, Hannah or no? Hannah or no. One, one time somebody came in, one of the, the girls who cleaned said that her boyfriend bet her. And I was like, what? Oh, he beat her. Okay. 
And the thing is, when so, you grow up with with everybody and everyone you know saying such things, it just becomes a part of life. It does. And Luka. there's no way to escape it. Luka is a common Luka. phrase. Luka. I don't even think. But now I have so many friends. But at first, I didn't understand it. Anyway, I go to play racquetball. I sign up. Can't play racquetball. Your wife, Dawn, is yep. one of the nicest people. Still is. Plays plays racquetball, right? Plays darn her good. Family, right. And she's great. So we go... We're supposed to play a match together, right? And I'm like, who am I supposed to play? You're playing Don. <laughs> You're playing Don, right? <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, I'm playing Don. So I get there, and I'm looking around. I'm like, where the hell is this Don guy? Like, where's Don? What the hell? You, and I ask again, who am I playing? What's going on? You're playing Don. <laughs> okay. I'm, so I'm looking around for Don. No, so, Dawn. So, Dawn is there, and she's looking around for Carl, but she, you know, she's looking she around for some guy, right? So, then she goes, are you Carl? I go, yeah. And she goes, well, I'm Dawn. Dawn. And I'm like, oh, you're Dawn. So That's funny. She proceeds to kick my ass every match for the she, whole tournament, but but she was really sweet. The and, funny and part like is, it. she, because I'm a victim of where I grew up, I still call her Dawn, Dawn, mm-hmm. and she says Dawn. She corrects me oh, still now. <laughs> I don't do the Haina or no, but I still call Dawn. her Dawn. My Dawn. wife says log. She insists that log is correct and chocolate is correct. Chocolate? That's log? The only, What's log now? So, log. And we, it should be more log? Log, I would log. say. Log. Sean, what are you doing? Well, I mean, I mean, you, Sean. Sean, yeah. Yeah, you would Shawn. think my name would be spelled S-H-O-N the way it's Oh, pronounced. I see. Sean. True. I get Sean a lot. She kicked your butt like a hawk. Like somebody told me they saw, they saw a hawk. Uh, <laughs> 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 what? A hawk in the sky. So anyway, that's ain't or no. Mm-hmm. So that was my my first experience here that I wanted to mention. That was no. I'm glad you did. I was yeah. dating Dawn at the time, right. and I used to like playing rock ball with her too because when she was in front of me, it was a vision to of oh. loveliness. You know well, what I mean? That, I guess enough so that you married her. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so you I really, was distracted. You really are the thinking man. You know? <laughs> yes. So one of the rods. Uh, so when we the, peaked, it was kind of. What happened was after the Iron Maiden tour, we were asked by ACDC to actually um, do the next tour with them. Come on. Yeah. And that was great. But um, I mean, it was great. Did it happen? It didn't happen. Oh, we had a manager who our attorney said was very small minded. And as it turned out, he was correct. And (laughs) so we're like the classic showbiz story of a band that has poor management. And so they there was a thing called buy on, which still exists. Like if you go to pay to play in LA and New York it's, that's how it is for the most part but so ACDC wanted 40,000 Arista- but, but can I stop you right there mm-hmm. how does a, how does ACDC choose I always wondered I go to a lot of concerts who chooses the opening band most likely like in this case Iron Maiden wanted an American band when we did the show with them but is it the guys or their management their management record label they management try to get something promoter. similar they want someone that's in to- their price range well, let's say the band is capable of filling 80% of the seats. They want a band that's going to fill the other 20 or potentially fill the additional 20. Oh. So that's how they want to choose things, you know? Oh. Something that's complementary to the bill and to the fans, but also going to put some other, fill some extra tickets. So ACDC knew of you guys? They knew because we had done so well. The press was crazy for us in England during okay. that Iron Maiden tour. We were getting tons of press. Oh. So they asked us to perform, you know, to do the tour. But it was a $40,000 buy-on. Arista UK, all over it, paying their half. Arista US wouldn't pay the 20000 because Clive Davis, and I have a story about that quickly. But so that didn't happen. And I was like, let's borrow the 20000 and let's go. 
we got to do it. And so, so you have to meet that demand. You have to and meet, if you if don't, you they just to, say, forget it, we're going to find move someone on to else. somebody else who's going to pay. Because oh. it's advertising, it means a lot to the tour. That could have, that could have perhaps. It would have changed everything for every, us. Your whole, the, the whole Absol- vector of your absolutely. life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That one twenty right. measly thousand dollars. Right. And so our manager refused. The guys in the band, I just beat them up verbally forever. And finally we fired him. But it was late and momentum had been lost. Which, by the way, we were signed to Aristo by mistake. We were signed to a heavy metal, Bertelsmann, which was a heavy metal label. But then we wound up with Aristo when there was a, the a labels merged. And so now Clive Davis is the head of our company. Clive Davis came to see us in New York hmm. at CBGB's. <laughs> but it's a small place in the follow spot, like blinding. So David was like, we were crazy when we got on stage. So David's out doing his guitar solo, and Clive and his entourage he had a huge entourage, which showed it was like Secret Service. They show up first, they go right. to the dressing room, and you've got the white limos out front, and then he makes the entrance, right? So, but you can't see anybody. David's on stage playing his guitar solo. He kicks, by mistake, kicks a beer, it goes all over Clive. Immediately gets up, goes to the limo, done. We, no. That was like, that was a big, big no-no. So now it comes time. So, so we're are- up we're up for tour support, which they did give us tour support, but not. Air Supply got the big colored rocks because they were on Arista, right? This heavy metal label. Arista got, yeah, I mean, Air Supply, sorry, Air Supply got the big colored rocks they had on stage. I don't know if you remember. No. You were still young. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And then. Aretha Franklin got these big posters and other things, and then we didn't get anything. It was like, okay, you guys get nothing. So uh, that was our experience. So we, we were kind of like the spinal tap again of yeah. these comedy of errors that, you know, have a detrimental effect on your career. Yeah, a series of bad Clive decisions wasn't a heavy, and bad luck. Yeah, and Clive was not a heavy metal guy to begin with. We were say, on, the yeah, wrong, on the wrong label. And uh, But the rods, the name, the look, the logo, everything mm-hmm. about it is just, it's good. Well, it's, it's a great name. What is the well, rise? What, what's we still don't know how oh, we okay, came out yeah, with it. it. We, you know, it's acid. It has a lot of connotations. That's all. It does. Is. Yeah, it's probably double entendre. <laughs> but initially, sometime we were young. But I don't know. David was into the guitar, into cars and flames on his guitar, and I think yeah. it was the rods and you know, like the hot rods. And I'm like, oh, let's call it the rods or something. So, so I can predict the rest of the story. Now the '80s are winding down. Hair metal and heavy metal cheese is becoming laughable. Here comes Nirvana. Here comes Soundgarden. Exactly. And you fade off into the sunset. I started producing. David bought a restaurant, the Hollywood in Cortland, New York. What do you mean? The band fizzles out now? The band, we're still recording, but we're really not doing anything. We signed with a label, Passport, and a song I wrote called Crossfire was actually getting some national airplay, and then the label folded. So we're just like, just a comedy of, again, it's yeah, like a Monty, yeah, yeah. bad Monty Python movie. We're just getting traction with radio. Um, but then Nirvana takes you down, right, and grunge, and it's all over with. Well, we weren't quite there. That was more when I was doing my production company. I had some other bands that were actually on the verge of, you know, breaking. But no, but I'm saying like a band like the Rods isn't going to work in the 90s now. In Europe, yes. Oh, okay, in Europe. In Europe. And Europe has been, like I said, about country music fans who are so loyal from day one. Our fans have been really loyal. And that's how we wound up first going to Norway was a fan that, you know, we had – I'd been corresponding with – from since the internet, like early days, and then before Facebook and whatever, and um, decided to bring us over. So we started then going to Europe every year and traveling so still around the country, that. and we still do that. So we you're decided, big. If I were anywhere in not anywhere, but a good part of Europe, they know you guys a lot more than any American. Absolutely, absolutely more. Yeah, not you're the, a god. Would you say you're a god there? I, a rock I would, god? No, I would say I'm not a god anywhere. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, but but uh, I think the rods are far more known in Europe than they are here in the states. You know. 
Then how do you feel now about the whole industry with Spotify and iTunes and record companies gone? I mean, it's a um, weird landscape. I and what it, happened to rock? Well, rock. These are a bunch of questions you have to yeah, answer. Yeah, no, rock is gone in America. Well, and, I mean, you know, that's the way it is. I mean, things change. It becomes a subgenre now, rock. <clears throat> I never Excuse thought me. this would happen. I have ki- two kids in college, 20, 22, mm-hmm. and my daughter listens to rap. Mm-hmm. And now I'm the old guy saying, that, it's not that I'm anti-rap, but it's just boring. And I, then mm-hmm. I play her some rock, and I'm like, this gets you moving. It gets the blood pumping. You can feel the pressure wave. Don't you feel pumped I, for life? I, I, I don't know. I'm that, that guy. <clears throat> well, you, you're always going to be that guy, right? <laughs> like, like it's, but it's how, like when rock you have, to me seems universally great. Yeah. And it means energy and rebellion and all great things. But you have things. to remember that it's a different generation. And so, but I noticed that young musicians love the classic rock. I they know they do. They love it. Yes. They love it. They're aware of all of it. They're very educated on it. Yes. So you have to remember that it's a new day and kids are listening to loops. You know, like all that stuff is a loop, it's just to create it. But it's a group. There's a pulse to it. And that's what they're reacting to. So when you say. Ooh, see, you're educating me. So, what do you mean? So my so like rock music has this great feel. And that's the pulse that you felt, that whole energy. But they're, they've grown up with that. So when you hear a song, and I, I educated myself when I went to a disco in France. It was a club. It was a total dance club. I don't dance. You'd think I would dance somehow, but I, <laughs> I don't dance. Dancing. Not that it would be horrifying to see, but you would think I'd dance, but I was always the entertainment. So I'm sitting there, and I started listening to what would happen, and there would just be this boom, 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 boom. Bass yes, drum starting, right? No music at all. But at certain tempos, people would sit, and they wouldn't react. And at other tempos, Nasilia boom. They had no idea what the music was. People would jump up. So as a producer, I started learning that the pulse was key to every song, the arrangement, but also that timing, that pulse was critical. So I brought that to everything I did as a producer from that point on. I was in France producing an album at the time. But it's not a powerful pulse. Well, see, to you it's not. But to them, that's the groove. It's like a... The whole rap thing is a whole different. It's not an up-tempo, like, Panama kind of thing. From Why can't I get it? Well, uh, here's what I'm saying. If I played to an alien life form, mm-hmm. Communication Breakdown by Led Zeppelin, <laughs> and then I played Post Malone or something, uh-huh. you, you can't say that the first by Led Zeppelin is powerful and blood-thumping and mm-hmm. moving, and the other one is just boring. Uh, what am I missing? I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's a different... It's apples in apples and oranges. It's not uh, the same thing, you know. And you're, you're trying to plug in your worldview of that music know, to their what... world worldview, and that's why you're the old guy. And I'm sorry, <laughs> say that. <laughs> well, do you, so do you feel what I feel, and you try to ignore it, or no? You, or no, you no, don't? No, feel I embrace what I feel. it. I love all music. I love the fact that it's changed. I don't love the fact that when the Grammys don't really have rock included in certain things. In yeah, right. Or, they're relegated to like not being on TV or like broadcast. I think that that's kind of it's a huge it's a huge industry still. So you're kind of ignoring something that you know you're marginalizing something that really right. is shouldn't be marginalized. But it is. Maybe so that can I, help it. Though, I accept then that. it'll develop an underground. Well, it still exists. It always has. It was like. But maybe it'll bring it back. Even in the in the in the seventies when Ted Nugent was selling out arenas, it was still disco. Right, but he was yeah, still right, selling Abba out. And he was still selling out BG. arenas, so it didn't go anywhere. I was just not radio didn't didn't grab on. And if really, if you think about it, the bands you listened to probably when you were young, you probably didn't get them from the radio. You weren't listening to Communication Breakdown on the radio when it first came no, out. You're right now. 
So. So what's the new Carl Kennedy now? Real estate guy, producer. Um, I have so many things. You would think that you know, Mr. Medicare would would be like <laughs> relaxing a little bit, but what's going on for me is I have. Um, the Rods album, this is the last album that I have here. That you gave me a nice copy Brother, of here. Brotherhood of Metal, released on vinyl, two vinyl albums in red. They're actually color albums. It's a beautiful Is it a resurgence? Setup. Well, the, this has been the best the best Rods album we've done since the early 80s. Well-received, critically. I've done probably 60 interviews around the world. Um, it's oh. been but what very well-received. Did, did, you, did you fade away and now you feel it coming back or no? Or if you yes, no, there's it. definitely a research. There's a this research. Is, this has been, been a big resurgence for the band. So, in fact, I was saying to you about, once again, this sold out. I went and bought all the copies for our fans who bought their, the is album. Is that right? Yeah, at Joan Ardone's. I had to buy them out when the first pressing because it sold out immediately. And I had we didn't even have copies ourselves. We had to, I bought them, and we had to send them to the fans because we, we had to buy them wherever we could. But so it's been a really good resurgence for the Rods. We're doing some dates. We're headlining uh, Legions of Metal in Chicago, May 15th, maybe. And we're doing uh, an outdoor show, a big outdoor show in Cortland, New York, on July 3rd. Oh, we're doing nice. Blues on the Bridge in Binghamton. And then I just signed a deal for this album in Japan because the rest of it was uh, worldwide, except for my two exclusions were Japan and South America, which they licensed to South America, but I licensed to Japan. So we may be going to Japan. Uh, you know, I'm negotiating some things for... Europe, and we just licensed some albums worldwide. Is this a bell question? Uh, is this still big money? Like when you're out no. in Japan or in Europe no, touring, no, no, and gobs no. of money rolling you know, if we in? Were going, if, if I took my royalty check from this, you and I could go to McDonald's. I don't believe Sean, that. I don't believe You probably it. have something Sean, from the dollar menu. Yeah, but if you, if you, if you have a show mm -hmm. and... I, 5,000 people show up. I don't know what a number is. 1,000? Mm -hmm. And they're each paying $50 a ticket. Where's all that money? Nobody's paying $50 a ticket. When we, most of the big shows we do are festivals where you're... Oh, I see. So there. Yeah. And then you're going to play clubs and whatever. So when we headline, you know, we get paid okay. And we get paid okay overseas. But, you know, you have to remember that for us to do, to make any real money, of, for to make a little money, it's a $10,000 cost right off the top for us to go do shows. Oh, you know, just because of equipment moving. Yeah, expenses. That. Yeah, exactly. So you're doing it for the love. We're doing it for the love. So I have two new projects. I have a new Kennedy album, which is uh, three local guys, um, Mike, Mant Mike Santisiero, Tony Garuba, who plays with me in the Jeffrey James Band, which tonight I'll be at the Tiki Bar in the Woodlands. Not that anybody will know that Woo! by now. But yeah, this <clears> is when this comes out. Yeah, this will be the remaining days of uh -huh. February, so it's and, past uh, tense. And then, I ha and then um, Charlie Rossello, who... Uh, you know, local guitar god. So we've done a whole new album, which is great. Chris Collier has uh, mixed it. And then I have a band, The 450s, which we recorded in Miami, which was the singer of Young Turk as the member of the band, right? And that's which one is, of my favorite bands right. that no one knows. <clears throat> no one knows. And then the two brothers from St. James, both bands who recorded in Simpson. And uh, St. James, I never got them a deal, but I did get uh, Young Turk a deal with Geffen and Virgin, two different deals. So the studio is still there. You're still no, studio. Oh, I sold gone. the studio. Sold the studio. Yeah, and it's been torn down. And and now it's you're a real estate guy, is, and your wife is pushing yeah, you around. Rockin', she said, "No more of this drum but, stuff." No, I'm no, playing I'm just all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just kidding. Kidding. I'm just but kidding. But the the rock and realtor is what I just finally just <laughs> rock and realtor just started this. Who do you represent? You want to say ER, what yeah, ERA One Source. Okay. Anita Aurora is my broker, and uh, yeah, so it's actually real estate. State has been very good, but it also allows me to go and do whatever, you know. And the kids are grown, so now you don't have to feel like Aaron a bad is, dad for not being Aaron's home, a right? music teacher, and she got tenured this year, and I'm going to not, I know Sean, I'm going to do this with 
thump on, on, thump on the mic, but she oh, was tenured cool. this year. Yeah. Because they, I, she I still talks about you. You know, jumping up on the desk and, and the class she took and how energetic you were and how kind you were to her when she had no clue what you were talking about. You tried to explain things to her and she's like, oh, my God, I don't great get it. Great kids. And they were great students. And in the backyard here, you were a guest many times. So we go yes, way back. Yes, and the Pixie Chicks. When Patty and I yeah, were doing children's yes, theater yes. and the Pixie Chicks came here and I wrote What is that, early 2000s? Yeah. So we had good times. That's how Carl and I know each other and uh, the, we, we converge paths. I got to say this before we end. Two things. Maybe three things. I got to ask you the cheesy best drummers from your history because you have guys like is it hard to drum and sing guys like phil collins and, and I never, don henley was it was i it? never thought it was but you know i've seen local drummers who play and they're kind of like the tempo starts like becoming a wave up and down faster slower faster slower i never found it problem no. i don't think those guys like henley phil collins they did I, and I wanted to mention before we go quickly about Young Turk. I have so many Young Turk stories that I have to share with you. But Yeah, because the public wouldn't appreciate them. No oh, one knows. No, no, but I think they would appreciate this. These guys, Young Turk was so crazy that we did pre-production for their second album in New Orleans, outside of New Orleans. And I had to come home. Aaron was, was a baby, and I didn't want to be gone so long, so I took a week and I went home. I had to literally take $100 bills because they got per diem, right, for food. They were so <laughs> bad that I had to literally every day call them and tell them where I had hidden money. I had no. to roll $100 bills up. I rolled them around D batteries in one flashlight. I had them buried them in the bottom of a bag of frozen peas. And every day, they would call me and go, where's the money today? And I would say, go in the drawer, so and you'll you... see a flashlight. And when you unscrew it, you're going to find $100 wow. bills. That's how bad they were, because they would just blow it in. So you had to do it in installments, uh -huh. hidden installments. It was like the wild dog. This dogs, is the rock and world. The wild wow. dog theory. If you, know, if you go away for a few days, and you put out a pile of food for four days worth of food. It's gone in an hour. My that. wife does the same thing to me with other <laughs> aspects of life, so I can see that. Trickle okay, down. sorry, and I interrupted you. So what no, was the, the last thing I want to say is I hate to hurt your feelings. Uh-oh. Well, after all this, now I'm... <laughs> I hate drum solos. Any oh, concert. No, is that... no, you suck saying that. <laughs> no, I would say the same... That's when I go to the bathroom. <clears throat> yeah, that's, yeah, I want to, too, when I'm doing one. <laughs> I think that I, I kind of feel the same way, and I, I've always tailored my drum solo to be interesting. I always thought Buddy Rich was like the guy who made it exciting and interesting, and that's how I always tailored so you, my drum solo because, you know, those kind of drum solos, you're like, oh, my God, please make it in. Yeah. You Are know. you with me on that, Sean, or no? Like, Sean's not that guy. It's like... Yeah, I see, Sean's it. cool. I, Sean, good, I knew yeah, Sean I was cool. Yeah I, yeah, I knew Sean was cool. Well, I have a short kid. attention span. Here's you probably know. Like, as a small child, my uncle had a drum set in the basement, and every time I was at the house, I would bang on the drums. When it came time in school to choose an instrument, drums did not. Saxophone. <laughs> wow! Saxophone, wow. So random, and uh -huh. I didn't even enjoy it. And I, yeah. to this day, I'm like, I wish I had. Well, drums are the drum round. Drums are, are great so to get, cool, to get but the aggression I'm just saying, out. I don't want to listen to a drum. No, solo. that's why you're the old guy. I don't know. Your kids <laughs> are looking at you. <laughs> yeah, you're hurting my feelings. All right, we'll end this thing with the drum solo with your hands. Could you do okay, it? Okay, no, or? I can't. I can't. I have to get paid. I can't. Oh, can't. oh you. Good having you here, brother. <laughs> that was great. I enjoyed it. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity.